When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hello and welcome to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People, the podcast where I sit down with an extraordinary person and share their story. They might have overcome something amazing or they might still be on that journey. With stories that will make you laugh, cry and hopefully feel a little bit inspired. Today I am so pleased to introduce someone who's gained a huge following of fans, not only by being very funny, but also by getting straight down to the truth. With more than 1 billion views on YouTube and over 17 million followers across his social channels, Daniel Howe is a force to be reckoned with in the world of vlogging. Since he was a teenager, Dan has written and produced comedy videos for YouTube. And in 2013, along with Phil Lester, aka Dan and Phil, landed himself his very own show on BBC Radio 1. The pair then went on to become Sunday Times best-selling authors by releasing two books and they sold out two stage shows which they took on world tours. In more recent years, Dan has made YouTube videos titled Basically I'm Gay, Daniel and Depression and Trying to Live My Truth, speaking out about his struggles with mental health and sexuality to the masses and this has proved increasingly popular amongst his dedicated fans. Dan is an activist and an ambassador for the Royal Foundation charity Young Minds and is shortly releasing his brand new book, You Will Get Through This Night, written in consultation with a qualified psychologist to give the reader the tools to understand their mind. Wow, wow. Dan, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you for having me. God, what an intro. How do I follow I that? I feel like... Lies. Yeah, I feel that like was a loser. All lies. It was just like... <laughs> it's good to be reminded of uh, apparently some things I've done because I feel like for the last year I've just been the guy walking around in sweatpants trying to keep houseplants alive. So it's like, right, yeah, I did something <laughs> Oh once. dear. Well, we all have something in common exactly. with that. <laughs> I see that we've both got plants behind us here, actually. I've rotated mine to the not dead and crispy side so I don't get judged. Well, I was going to say mine are usually fake. <laughs> but the one behind me, uh, someone sent me as a present and it is uh-huh. dead. But I've, I've moved the desk forward so that you're not close enough to kind of like see the I love plant. it. So. I love it. That's relatable right there. <laughs> so can we talk about the fact that you're 29 yes. and that's your intro? Yeah. I mean, that's... It's been a, it's been a whirlwind. Yeah. I mean, that's so... So that's 10 years, right, mm-hmm. of achievements, which actually, it, okay, it's a decade, but that's not that long to achieve all of that. When you look back over your career and that journey, Mm. is it with fondness or is it actually a struggle? Is it overwhelming? Like, I'd love to know your thoughts on Mm. kind of how you feel about it. Because there's a real mixture of stuff that's gone on in that 10 years. 
I mean, for me, when you say it, it sounds a bit alien because the experience felt like I was just failing upwards <laughs> for 10 years. You know what I mean? It's like life is just a, a series of learning from mistakes and slow and painful experiences that hopefully turn into something. So the Wikipedia version looks super impressive. But at the time, it was a lot of uh, lying face down on the floor, crying and banging heads against the wall, for sure. And yeah. uh, it's it's been a journey for me because, as you said, I started doing comedy on the internet as a teenager, just doing it as a hobby. I wasn't trying to achieve anything. I was just being silly in my spare time. And that accidentally snowballed into this, you know, quote unquote career, <laughs> ended up on the radio, did a couple of things. And it was by complete accident that this snowball started rolling, that I found myself in the position to do all of these things. And that's, you know, the story, especially with my sexuality and mental health, is that I found myself accidentally in this position where I had this big spotlight and I had this huge platform and suddenly all this pressure. And actually, I probably hadn't gone on a couple of these little internal journeys of just working out, wait, who am I? What am I about? Is there anything I need to deal with? Until it was kind of too late and everything got a bit too much. And then suddenly mm -hmm. I hit that brick wall that I think a lot of people hit in life where you've been putting things off, not addressing an elephant in the room, suddenly life gets a bit much and then it becomes a problem in the forefront all of a sudden. That's what happened to me. So after, mm -hmm. I don't know, eight, eight, nine years of just being funny on the internet, uh, I had a real tough period where I was struggling with depression and it affected my ability not just to kind of be funny and go on stage and go on the radio and pretend like, you know, everything's fine and I've got a smile on my face, but I couldn't even cope day to day or create. And when it gets to that point, you really are forced to just confront something and go, I have to acknowledge the truth of something that I'm going through. I have to do something about it. And in my position, I had to then kind of tell people about it, which was yeah, a whole scary dimension in itself. So you outed you. Absolutely. You couldn't function, so you, something had to give. Yeah. Did, did you know what was making you depressed? Because often when we're depressed, we don't mm. know, oh, it's my sexuality or it's this or it's that. Did, did yeah. you instinctively know? I mean, it's so hard because anyone listening to this can go through different types of depression. You know, you can go through a real chronic depression. It may be a hormonal imbalance, maybe something that's happened in your life. It may be a brief period like postnatal or going through grief. For me, it was definitely a mixture of, I was, you know, I know having written this book that I've now written, the things that you mm. can do to manage your mental health positively. I wasn't doing any of that. My lifestyle was uh, not very conducive to good mental health. I wasn't getting out much. I wasn't eating very well, wasn't exercising, didn't have much fun. I did not have the right mindset. I didn't have a good relationship with my own emotions. But fundamentally, mm -hmm. there were some huge issues that I was procrastinating. And one of those was just eating me up from the inside, which was the issue of my sexuality. Because my life experience as someone who had a pretty horrendous time as a child, going through a lot of bullying mm -hmm. at school and having you know a turbulent time at home, it had a huge impact on me. And my attempt to just keep it down and brush it under the rug until I was ready for it was really just devouring mm -hmm. me from the inside. And I think that when that's in the background and you're in denial about something that you know is there and is just so powerful, it just slowly kind of erodes the, the base underneath you. And that's when I found myself slipping. Do you think you always knew that you were gay then? Like what, oh, what absolutely. age do you think? I mean, it's one of those things where, <laughs> I mean, do, do you have some weird feeling deep inside when you're five years old listening to the Spice Girls? Who knows? But I think for me, it was definitely <laughs> when I, you know, it was that 13, 14 time where I was like, right, I'm snogging girls. We're playing spin the bottle. It's all happening. I look at that boy mm -hmm. across the class and I'm like, that's a weird feeling. 
But instead of, um, oh, what does this mean? How do I think about it? Because my experience of growing up in the 90s in, you know, in the UK, obviously, people are a lot better about gay people these days, etc. Culture's a bit nicer than it was 10 years ago. Even mm. 10, 15 years ago, it was so toxic. And I was just um, so convinced that it just wasn't a good thing that the moment I thought, oh, God, do I like boys? It was just terror. Yeah. It was no, it was nothing other than complete existential dread because everything in my life had been drilling into me. This is a bad thing. People won't like you and everything will be terrible. And that is really a journey that it took me the next 14 years really to unpack. Yeah. And if you were being bullied at school anyway, there's already mm. a sense that you feel that you're not enough or you're not exactly. right and you don't fit in. What was the support network like for you? I mean, you touched on school. What about friends and family? You know, when you approached mental health, sexuality, mm. what was the response? I mean, the problem is that I am amazing at brushing things under the rug and being completely in denial. <laughs> there's some people that can do that their whole lives. If there's something mm -hmm. that's too difficult to confront, and this could be be any aspect of your life. It could be someone you're living with, a relationship, something to do with your career. If you know that something is just such a huge problem, but you can't confront it for whatever reason, because you're scared, you don't know how, you don't feel like it would be safe to, or you don't have a plan otherwise. I just felt like I don't want to admit this to anyone. I don't want to admit it to myself. I don't want to say that I'm not okay, because I don't want people to think I'm vulnerable. And so all of the worst things you could do is basically how I lived my life for the next 10 mm. years until it got to that point, as I said, as a full-on adult in this weird career that I ended up in where I had absolutely no choice but to finally deal with it. But maybe that's why you're such a good comedian because actually comedy, <laughs> it's a good buffer, isn't it? And oh, it's like, you know, it's a good barrier. It's a, it's a, it's a job, it's a mask, mm -hmm. you know, it's not everything you are, it's a professional job. Do you think it kind of fueled... Like your, the darkness in your life fueled mm -hmm. the success? Like, do you think? Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, one, comedy is just great for deflecting. Like, haha, I don't have mm. a problem. I'm going to make a joke about it. Great uh -huh. for material. I think, you know, any, any funny guy listening to this just needs to think, if you make too many jokes about something, there might be a problem you need to deal with at some point. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> great. Uh, get the jokes out there. Maybe you're even starting conversations or making people feel seen or heard by whatever you're joking about. But do, do please work on whatever you've identified the issue as. <laughs> <laughs> it's that thing of comedy usually it comes from a place of truth and I was using it as an excuse to avoid topics and also not take topics that seriously and eventually it got to that point where you know what is humor what can I joke about there were some issues in my life where suddenly I hit that wall and I was like uh oh I can't really go any further in this line without answering the difficult questions it's so true I mean I'm thinking about myself um I used to sort of use humour to sort of get in there first. So yeah, if I was absolutely. nervous about my, you know, like just nervous about my appearance or I'd, I'd try and be self-deprecating or deflect. Mm -hmm. um, or if I was just worried about people feeling uncomfortable around me, I would make a joke of stuff so that people knew, you know, it's all right if you stare or I'm okay with it too. Look yeah. at me taking the piss out of myself. Even if actually it was kind of hurtful, mm -hmm. it just made me feel like people won't feel that I'm awkward to be around because I'm funny. In a way, it's a bit mean to yourself. Like Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that it's definitely a human instinct to just think, and this is my whole psychological profile right now, which is I have this 
fear that people are going to behave a certain way mm. towards me. So I'm just going to get it out there before they have a chance mm-hmm. to. But then if you have that attitude all the time where it's like, I'm going to make this joke about myself or I'm going to always put this on the table, it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy where you end up building up your own identity as being defined by this negative thing when actually it's something that people shouldn't be making jokes about or making you feel uncomfortable about Mm. in the first place. So you have to kind of look in the mirror sometimes and go, what's the truth (laughs) behind whatever this icebreaker is? That's really hard. I mean, that's really tough. That's very soul searching. Um, I really wanted to read something from the book. There's There's a moment at the end of every day when the world falls away and you are left alone with your thoughts, a reckoning when the things you have been pushing to the background come forward and demand your attention. Mm. I cried. I cried because oh, it was, in, yeah, <laughs> and I was just like, God, it's so good because it's so powerful and it's so true and, and it's what we all experience, isn't it? I think that's the crazy thing is that it's not even about being depressed or having a serious anxiety disorder. Every single person listening to this podcast has a mind. They have emotions. They have a life that affects how they think and feel. We all have mental health. And at the end of the day, once the busy things that you're doing, we have that moment of reflection where suddenly when the world falls away, you think, right, what are the real issues? And what am I afraid of? What am I not dealing with? And it's those moments of kind of terrifying honesty that you have with yourself where you can learn something. And this book is saying, hey, you know, a lot of people go through life going, oh, I'm not incredibly depressed or struggling like this story that I heard about It's Fine, when actually any of us can be struggling with so many things to do with our mental health at any level. And it's not just this weird, mysterious fog where you go, oh, mental Mm. health, you're born with it. Maybe you take some drugs, go see a doctor. And it's like, no, there is so much to know. Just little things that you can change about your lifestyle that have huge impact. And just a few pro tips or little tools and techniques that can just let you look after yourself in any situation that can completely change your life. And the idea that for me, I spent those 26, 27 years just in that lost in the fog, not having any idea how to make myself feel better, just grasping at straws. And now I'm like, there was so much to know. I wish I knew it. And that's why I wrote the book. It's basically what I wish I could have read when I was younger. Now, the book was written in conjunction with a professional psychologist, um, yes. which which doesn't always happen. So I think that's really cool and mm-hmm. quite unique. Why was it important to have this sort of practical angle to it? Um, I think it's safe to say humanity has a a bit of an issue, maybe respecting science at the moment and experts. Mm. (laughs) And especially when you're talking about mental health, I think it's incredibly important to know that whoever you're taking advice from knows what they're talking about. And you're not just following, you know, what someone's Uncle Jeremy said on Facebook or whatever. So when I set out to do this book, I was like, no, I want this to be stamped, sealed and verified by someone that knows what they're doing. So I wrote the whole thing in consultation with an amazing doctor called Heather Bolton, who often deleted entire pages that I wrote. So, (laughs) you know, this isn't exactly how I'd say it or what's up to date. But what that means is when someone flicks through these pages, it's not just a nice idea or something that I thought sounds cool. It's actually what psychologists and doctors have proven with evidence Mm. are the things that can positively affect your mental health. So when you say, hey, pro tip, do this, it's like, you can trust it, which for me was incredibly important because I don't want to look at all these life hacks and websites and think, oh, how how much is this true? How much will that really help? If it's in this book, then I have, you know, if if I wrote it and it didn't fit the mark, it's not in there anymore. So what's in there? Hey, (laughs) 
It's good. I, I'm so terrible. I'll see like a post on Instagram that, and it's like, oh, there's metal in carrots. I'll go to the fridge, <laughs> chuck, chuck all the carrots out. And yeah. then my husband's like, where's the carrots? And I'm like, no, yeah. they've, got, they've got metal oh, in Oh, I them. saw something yeah. on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's just like, who wrote it? I'm like, I don't know. It's just like a <laughs> meme. Like, but it yeah. had a font. It looked really serious. Looked really and those good. carrots are gone. Yeah. yeah. It was a great colour palette, like pastel <laughs> colours. It must have been mine. Um, so whilst we're talking about the internet, you know, you've been uploading YouTube videos for for a decade for 10 mm-hmm. years what would you have done or wanted to have done if youtube never existed or if it hadn't worked out for you yeah i mean my plan <laughs> when i was 17 thing I, I had it really drilled into my head you have to get a serious job and i didn't even say you even can get a fun job or something that is related to any of your interests it was very like doctor lawyer whatever so mm-hmm. i just straight up was like I'm going to be a lawyer. I don't even know what it is or if I like it, but apparently it's, it's you know, a serious job. So I went to law school. I did it for a year. And that mm. was really the first time I hit that wall of inauthenticity in my life where I had a, quite a visceral reaction to this discovery on the inside, which is like, hello, this isn't you. This isn't what you want to do. You will not be happy. And it was right then that I started trying to do the whole comedy thing and posting things on the internet, which I could do in my free time. And I was just so lucky that it was that year that I got offered a job on Radio 1 and everything kind of snowballed from there. But, you know, it's really hard, like in education or in any kind of like vocation in work, Mm. a lot of us just kind of stay because society tells us we need a pension, we need a full-time job. Absolutely. And, you know, often our heart isn't 100% in it, but we just feel like, well, isn't this what life is and what what we're supposed to be doing? You know, like risk is is quite scary. Um, So you took a risk, but like you said, it hasn't been easy. So I wonder, do you live with any regrets? You know, if we we take this as the 10-year mark and we, Mm. we kind of reflect, would you have done anything differently over the past 10 years? I wasted a lot of time not being authentic. And Mm. sexuality is just a huge, obvious thing there because even though it was difficult and I felt like I wasn't ready to face it yet, there is just this truth that I know now with perspective and hindsight that if you are living inauthentically, if you're stuck in a situation that you know isn't making you happy and you're just saying, I can keep going, I can keep doing this, it's fine, only a bit longer, you're just, you're not living, you're just like a robot on autopilot Mm. and to think of all the opportunities I missed out, the friendships I didn't have, the experiences, I can still have those now. I mean, the irony is I came out as gay and then went straight into lockdown. So uh, (laughs) came out, went straight back in. I know, (laughs) (laughs) literally, but for sure. I mean, it's it's hard. And I know anyone listening that may relate on any level to feeling Mm. like, yeah, I would change my career. I would change something about my my home life or just my lifestyle, but I can't, it's too hard. That is incredibly valid. But as long as you know on some level, you should never give up on that. Because the moment Mm. you do that thing, no matter how difficult it is, and start living more authentically, you will feel so much happier. And for me, the moment I came out, I mean, people say it was like a weight lifted, but in every sense of the word, it just felt like spiritually, existentially, I felt like a completely different person. Like I'd been wearing this emotional chainmail my entire life, and then I instantly just felt completely free. And that is something that I couldn't have even articulated until I experienced it for myself. 
Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girly? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. It's such a personal thing to talk about. And you can be on the internet all of your life, but still be private. You know, you could yeah, you yeah. could not be sharing your personal life. Mm-hmm. And so by doing that, has it made you talk more about personal situations that you're experiencing? And if it has, does this now come naturally to you? Do you find it easier? Yeah, I mean, it was um, obviously, I just didn't used to do it at all. So it, whatever easy was, it used to be the opposite. And I think... I evolved naturally over time. And this is that thing where I think only because of my unique circumstances, being able to turn my life story into comedy and entertaining other people and having this audience that was supportive of me, I think it was only that back and forth and that relationship that allowed me to grow to a point where I even could confront my mental health issues and think about my Mm. sexuality. It started off with me being, I'm going to tell the story of how I got um, uh, fired from Asda when I was a teenager. (laughs) And for me, that was like, I'm admitting something very embarrassing. I look like an idiot. This is a stupid story. And that's a very tiny example of me saying, I'm going to make myself look bad for your entertainment. As time went on, I was like, maybe I'll share a couple of opinions. Maybe I'll talk about bullying in school. Maybe I'll talk about the pressure of exams. And as it went on, I was like, you know what? Maybe maybe I can tell the truth that I've been suffering from depression. And that is a whole different ballgame. But it was only because of that little saying, hey, if I share something from you, people go, I like that you made yourself vulnerable. We love that you let us laugh at the worst, most Mm. embarrassing idiot moments of your life. And that to me was a message that it's okay to be slightly vulnerable sometimes. And that kind of the openness of my own heart and vulnerability widened over time until it got to that point where I felt comfortable enough just being like, hey, this is, it's just the truth of my life. I'm not even That's sharing so anything beautiful. scandalous. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're basically, you dipped your toe in the water to test your audience and they said, it's okay. And then you mm. trusted them more and more until you kind of exposed yourself and they were just like hugged you and said, it's fine. Uh, exactly. Did, did, so audience and parents, like, you know, these two separate people, did mm. they accept you? Yes. I mean, the, I didn't know how I would have been received in the 2000s, you know, because mm. culture was very different. I wasn't exactly sure where my dad was <laughs> on the masculinity scale or how it would be received. And I just, I didn't cross the bridge. I was like, this is not happening. I am not coming out because I didn't even want to acknowledge it for myself. When I was a teenager, I was hardcore in denial. I was like, I'm going to get a girlfriend (laughs) because I just can't conceive of my existence doing this thing that I have been brainwashed to think is so terrible. Thankfully, you know, we're talking the year 2019. I had a pretty reasonable idea that my family, they were a pretty nice, chill, accepting group of people. And Mm -hmm. when I sent, I mean, the joke is here. I thought I'd come out on Christmas Day 
And then we were all sat around the dinner Hijack table. Jesus's birthday. Well, that, see, this is the thing, right? And then I thought, I, you know what? No, I can't make this day all about me. So then it was Boxing Day. We were all sat around, you know, watching Doctor Who rerun on the TV or whatever, cheese and biscuits. And then again, I thought, I just can't make this day all about me. So went back to London and thought, idiot, that was your one chance while the family was together. So then I thought, okay, mum's birthday. I'm just going to dinner with her. And then again, I can't hijack my mum's birthday. These You're were all excuses. These are all excuses. I mean, the thing is, if I did it on Christmas, my family would be like, forget Christmas. Oh my God, this is this is huge. This is incredibly important. But no, no, to me, that was a great excuse. And then it got to Easter Sunday and then I just did it again. And it got to that point where I was like, at this point, I'm not just holding back my career and my life choices, but this is just bloody ridiculous. So yeah. I said, rip the plaster off, no matter how silly the moment is. I wrote an email to my family and I just You're put so in the, formal. <laughs> in oh the subject. Well, it was to me, it was like, what is the least direct, scary thing possible? It's like a grenade. I can just chuck it into the room and go boof and then uh. just see what happens. I wrote subject. Basically, I'm gay. Uh, call me if you want, blah, blah, blah. And I just hit send. Five minutes later, I get a call from my mum. And it's that thing where it was what I wanted, which is just, we love you. We accept you. This is okay. Oh. And, you know, Thanks, who knows mom. what it would have been like. And for some people, it's not like that. And I am just so grateful that even as ridiculous as the story was, and the fact that it took me 28 years, at least when it <laughs> happened, that's what happened. I'm really glad you didn't also hijack Christmas Day. I think I think that <laughs> yeah. was suitable. Yeah. yeah, granddad would have choked on a turkey bone for sure. Wouldn't want that. Now, I saw in one of your videos, you talked about a heteronormative world, you know, us mm. living in a heteronormative world. Um, so if someone's not heterosexual, that there has to be this big email in your case. Exactly. Um, yeah, this, big, this big kind of moment of coming out in some way. Do you think this needs to be changed? And you know, how can we change it? What do we do? Um, is it even possible to change it? I mean, it's funny when you see some people go like, why is it always such a big deal when someone comes out? And that's the whole thing. People are presumed to be straight unless yeah. otherwise, which is why if you've got some celebrity and they need to tell everyone they're gay, they probably don't want it to be a big deal, but it's going to be the biggest bloody deal in the entire world, <laughs> which mm -hmm. is why we have coming out. And until... The world gets to a point where a 13-year-old or 14-year-old can go, hi, mum, you know, I think I, I like this other girl in my class. And they go, hey, that's okay. That's not a coming out. That's just a conversation. So it seems these days, all of these things, and even mental health, you can apply this to anything that someone may feel shame about, might be a secret, might be a taboo conversation that they were sitting on as a secret and they feel uncomfortable sharing. Until we live in a world without the stigma where people are afraid to casually discuss something the moment they experience it, it will always be that moment. And if you use anxiety as an example, you know, if you said to someone the first time, hey, you know, COVID, it's got me feeling pretty scared about going outside, then mm. that's an honest, real conversation happening right now that millions of people are probably all feeling the same thing. It's yeah. not in five years' time you have to come out to everyone that you work with going, oh my God, I have crippling agoraphobia and I have to take this medication and therapy and this, that and the other. So I do think that the world is becoming a less stigmatised, more conversational, open and honest place. And that's much more healthy for all of us. And what about you now? I mean, you are famous, you know, you're, you are public property in, in, in a yeah, sense. Absolutely. Um, I'm a piece of meat. Yeah. <laughs> has that helped your own anxieties? Has it been good or has it 
been the opposite? Mm, Yeah, it's definitely a mixed bag. I think that it's helped my confidence a lot just to be kind of forced to put myself out there and talk a lot and to hear positive feedback. It's also made me slightly more anxious where I feel like people have opinions about where I go. Like, can I snog somebody in a cafe? Probably not, unless they want to take a selfie. You know, (laughs) That's just the reality of my life. But I would say that definitely how I've chosen to be creative by talking about my mental health and my sexuality has actually turned the position that I found myself in into this amazing excuse to say, hey, this is going to be incredibly difficult for me to go on this internal journey, but you get to help others. And I use that altruistic excuse to give me the boost I need to shove myself out of the door because I am a terrified person. But if someone says to me, hey, write this book and it'll help someone else, it Mm. lets me have the courage to type that difficult story onto the page. It's got, it's sort of suffering with meaning, isn't it? It's kind of, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's just sort of, well, yeah, we hope. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in the, in the intro, I talked about, you know, your followers, 17 million um, across scary. your social. Yeah, I mean, it's really scary. Um, but, you know, it, it, but you're deemed as a great success. I mean, it, it's also mm. phenomenal. But what pressure does 17 million bring? Um, and having such a popular channel, you know, so much expectation mm-hmm. um, of having to constantly post good videos. You know, how mm-hmm. how do you keep up with that? I mean, firstly, you know, success is a crazily objective word because to anyone on the outside, they just saw the numbers and thought he's great. And I was miserable. I, my, you know, I hated my life. It was terrible. I just had the worst mental health ever. My priorities well, whack. I didn't have any friends. I didn't have an, I wasn't doing anything fun. And from the outside, it can look like someone's fine, but you can have a career that's not very successful and be the happiest person in the entire world. And having good mental health, knowing what matters in life is a totally different conversation. The reality of the, the pressure on my career, it's definitely real. And I am my you know biggest critic there where I feel like I've got this audience of people and they love everything I do. I can't let them down. And for me, it's, you know, everything has to be bigger and better and amazing. So with this book, I'm very excited that I think it's going to help a lot of people around the world. But I'm also just terrified to put something that isn't just so personal, but something that I've worked really hard on out there. Because for me, real life and career is so kind of weirdly incestually intertwined in a way that any therapist would go, this is not a good idea, but here I am. (laughs) So just just got to make it work. Honestly, if you ever moan to therapists about social media, they don't understand it. They just uh, yeah, tell you—they yeah. just tell you to quit because they—they don't see it as. I like, just delete Instagram, and I'm yeah. like, I'll, I will delete my friend network and my career. Good advice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there are things you can do to manage your mental health on social media, but it's not as simple as just turn just it off because that's not how life works. Especially yeah. young people. A lot of people go, "Oh, my," you know, I have uh, teenagers, and they have terrible mental health, and it's all because of Twitter and Instagram can I just take away their phones? And it's like, you're going to unplug them from society. That's not the solution. You know, there are things you can do to, you know, mute people that you find annoying. Curate your timeline so you're not following those stressful politicians. Don't follow those celebrities that make you feel really guilty. Mm. You can make your use of social media something that because of the people, the friends and the celebrities that you follow is positive reinforcement. It motivates you. It makes you feel good. It makes you feel happy. Less Trump, more cat videos. (laughs) We all have the power in our hands. 
Yeah, like I love that. And you're in control. I love that sense that it's your it's mm-hmm. your home, isn't it? It's not, don't let people into your home. You wouldn't see your real home, you know? And this is one of the main things throughout the whole book is that no matter if you feel like you're the most functional person with great mental health in the world, just take a moment to think about how the things that you do and the way you live your life makes you feel. Mm. Just stop and think. I just did that. Do I feel worse than I did five minutes ago? You might tell yourself you hate jogging and then you go for a jog and you go, actually, I'm way less anxious now and I'm having a great day. Mm-hmm. Well, you just learned an uncomfortable truth there, which is you hate exercise, but it's good for you. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's not that's the, that's the real truth, isn't it? That's me in lockdown. <laughs> so what about you now? You're 29. So, you know, next mm-hmm. year you're going to be into your 30s. Um, you're an author now. Uh, mm-hmm. What about the next decade? Are you excited? Do you, are you like this person that has a life plan? Like what's next for you? Honestly, it's strange because for me, because of my particular lived experience and what I went through growing up and my relationship with my sexuality, even if you might not think it's a big deal to be gay, because of what I went through and how monumental it was, I feel like I am a one-year-old person because my entire Mm -hmm. life has been inauthentic. Mm -hmm. I've been doing everything 360, not making the choices that I actually wanted to do. So I am looking forward to life because for me, it's this opportunity to say, who am I actually? What do yeah. I want? What do I enjoy? And creatively, I think it's going to be a wild and wacky time to see what I'm going to want to talk about <laughs> when suddenly there's a nothing holding me back. But just personally, I'm I'm looking forward to just enjoying the world as a free person. Who knows what's important in life to just go out there and just have fun. Yeah, that's quite profound, isn't it? Because I was just thinking, well, what could he do now that he couldn't do before because he wasn't out? But it's not it's not a physical thing that you could tell me. It's about the fact that you mm. are lighter and you are living your truth and just the Mm -hmm. way you communicate internally to yourself and externally to the world is just I guess completely different isn't it absolutely yeah it's just every single day I feel just there's a baseline happiness that I've achieved just by being honest Mm. with who I am and that's so profound that you know it's it's one of the main things I would tell to any person whatever that is in your life find it and try to achieve it because it's worth it I feel like in this chat um you know this is the first time I've ever spoke to you um and you have really inspired me actually um just in this sort of short time that we spoke together yeah and I'm assuming you you are also very inspiring but I'm sure you hear that all the time thank you very much (laughs) with my dead plant behind me (laughs) um so I'm thinking like if this is the effect you've had on me in just this chat this obviously is why you've got 17 million people that follow you because this is the ripple effect of Dan so so who inspires you and has it changed now that you've changed? Absolutely. I mean, I grew up and for me, it was just British comedians. And that was good for being funny, for being self-deprecating, for being incredibly sarcastic. It also kind of made me a bit defensive and feeling that edginess because I think a lot of like British male comedians, they're like, I'm going to be offensive. And it's exactly what you said earlier. I'm going to put that thing out there so people don't make fun of me first. And whilst that can be funny, there's an element of, there's a slight toxicity to that. There's a bit of a self-harming nature to that. And it's as I evolved and I started to see responses from followers of mine, some people would start to say, hey, I like the joke, but actually what I like even more than the joke is 
what you're actually saying about yourself. And it was that relationship where looking in, um, it was like a mirror of who I really am mm. coming from the responses of other people, where the everyday people that I bumped into on the street, people that sent me tweets, they said, hey, you know, I'm not some big celebrity that's shaping how you think and feel. I'm just telling you what you may not realize is how you are affecting other people that led me to go, oh, this is who I really am. This is what I should head towards. This is what I should pursue in life. And I'm just very grateful that I've had a positive experience of complete strangers around the world just saying, hey, here's what I thought of that silly joke that you made. This is what I think about you. And I'm like, ah, that's me. Yeah, it's, so it's really, crazy. It's really powerful. And I, th- I think really it's a, it's a great way to end the podcast because you're, what you're kind of summarizing is just how powerful connection is. And, and connection comes in many different forms. And Hey, you want a spoiler of the book? The number one most important thing for your mental health is connecting to others. It's so true. It's not about... You know, there's there's medication, exercise, therapy, this, that, and the other. Therapy, the most important thing is just being seen, being heard, Mm. being validated, and community. It's feeling part of something. If we feel like we can be in the presence of others, and I say this as the biggest introvert in the entire world Mm. who hates going outside or getting dressed, it's the truth. And that's why, you know, family, friends, and love at the end of the day is actually the most important thing. Mm. Well, thank you so much for sharing another part of you today. I Mm. really felt like once again, you spoke your truth and so much valuable stuff there. And if you're listening and you found this helpful, please do buy the book, read the book. And with all good books like this, it's so important to then pass it on to somebody in your life who needs it also. Please, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. That was lovely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I had a great time. I did too. Like obviously, you know, it's really uplifting hearing, hearing the end. Which is even if it's a bit of a struggle to confront, you're doing it for a reason. Yeah, absolutely. And that's even going for a jog. (laughs) I'm putting my socks on. I'm going to hate it, but I'm doing it for a reason. Thanks for listening to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. If you haven't already, please follow where you get your podcasts. Also, if you enjoyed this, please help us spread the word. Rate and review the show or share on your socials.